Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Amen. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. It's where, where we begin. I want to greet all of you in Jesus' name and thank you for having me here today. I want to talk to you about the sun, the S-O-N. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I've spoken to this church about a thousand times, I guess, or more. Feels like a thousand times. A bunch. It's always new. But I can't get away from this big subject of Jesus. He shows up everywhere. You can't read your Bible at all without finding Jesus. I read the genealogies sometimes, and I find Jesus in the genealogies. It's amazing. He's involved in everything in the Bible. It's really the reason the Bible was written, to show us Jesus. Not to show you the law, not to show you all the restrictions on your life, not to show you what you can and cannot do, but to show you Jesus. And Hebrews 1.1 points this up like no other scripture I know when it says this, God, by the way, that word right there is why we know one of the reasons, one of about five reasons I could prove to you why we know Paul did not write Hebrews. Every letter Paul wrote starts with the word Paul. This one starts with the word God. Now, let's be, let's be honest. God wrote every book. The Holy Spirit wrote every book. But Paul was not the penman for this book. Somebody else was. I believe it was Priscilla. You're guessing. I can guess too. (laughs) He was certainly a disciple of Paul, and she was one. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. You see, God used to talk to people through other means besides just through the prophets. He spoke to them through the prophets, but he used all kinds of circumstances. Divers' manners. Sundry times and divers' manners. That means, oh, thank you for going to the King James Version. I understand this Bible. Those make-believe Bibles, I don't understand. (laughs) But these, this grown-up Bible I get. Different different ways, divers' manners. He spake in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Some of those different ways he spoke, those divers' manners were by circumstances. Negative circumstances sometimes. Earthquakes. Famine. Floods. High winds. He spoke by Circumstances of all kinds, invading armies even. He spoke to his people. You know why? Because they didn't have the Holy Ghost inside them. They didn't have the Spirit inside them. That's not how God has to talk talk to you. You have his Spirit inside you. Now he's not off up there waiting for you to invite him here. You notice we don't do that a lot here. We don't say, oh, come, Holy Spirit. Hey, 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 hey. 
It's like me inviting Miss Ann to her house. <laughs> Miss Ann, would you come over? She, I'm right here, idiot. It's my house. I don't need an invitation. This is where I live. Are you hearing me? The Holy Ghost lives inside you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He says, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. That means you're living in the last days. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago. These last days. So those were the last days. What on earth are we living in? If we're 2,000 years and and creation is only 6,000 years old, and we're 2,000 years past the last days, or into the last days, what would you think this might be? The last of the last days. If, if chronology means anything, we're staring down the business end of that, that rifle right there. Time is short, so get done what you want to get done. Stop fooling around. Amen. Amen. May have the appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world. Now we may not know when the last days began, but we know that we are in them now. That word last days is eschatos. That's where we get the word eschatology. This means the end, the last of latter, the latter end. Now the, these ways he spoke to people, I want you to notice something. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, put that up there. For with stammering lips and another people, another tongue, will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith he will cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. What happened here is, is God was going to send an invading army with a, with a foreign tongue upon Israel. This was an oppressive invading army that was going to come and take over Israel. Wow. God spoke to them that way, didn't he? But do you know that Paul takes that very, those two verses right there and weaves them into the fabric of New Testament theology with 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In the law it is written, for with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Therefore tongues are for us, ah, uh, What? Tongues are for a sign, not to them who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. What are you talking about? That in the Old Testament was a way God spoke through an invading army. Paul is not calling us, saying that we're going to be invaded by an alien army. He's saying we're going to be invaded by the Holy Ghost with a new tongue. Glory to God. When Jesus came, everything changed. All that judgment went over onto him. You ought to be happy about this. All the judgment went over on him, and God stopped talking to mankind through calamities and invading armies and disasters and hurricanes. I heard so much of it back when Katrina hit New Orleans. There were articles written in Christian literature by the hundreds. You can find them anywhere. So-called prophet saying, I prophesied that a tornado, that a hurricane was going, that a hurricane was going to hit New Orleans. And sure enough, it has. I said, the weatherman's been predicting that for years. 
It ain't nothing to predict that a hurricane's going to hit New Orleans. I predict a hurricane's going to hit New Orleans. You watch, one's going to hit there eventually. Tell me if you're a real prophet, you tell me one's going to hit Denver. Now I'm listening. <laughs> we'll see a hurricane hit Denver. Prophet. So-called prophet. What an opportunity the church lost in reaching out to those people by taking them God's love and said, God did not do this. God did not do this. God sent me, God sent me here to love you and to show you who he really is. Yeah. Amen. Amen. He's not in the storm. Amen. Amen. That calamity that happens to you is not, not yeah. God doing that. That's the devil. Right. Claiming to be God. And if you call it God, you're saying the devil is your God. Yeah. Oh, that was good. That just came out. out. Right. <laughs> Didn't have that one planned. God doesn't go around killing people. Amen. Remember when James and John wanted to kill some people? Shall we call fire down out of heaven for them, on them, Lord? And Jesus said, stop that, idiots. I threw the idiot part in. but <laughs> Stop that. You don't know what spirit you're of. And then he went on and said, well, the Son of Man did not come to, to destroy men's lives, but to save them. How simple is that? You'd think that the church would get a hold of this eventually. But they like terrorizing people. They love terrorizing. I don't know what makes preachers want to be terrorists. Verse 3. <laughs> Who being the brightness of his glory. Oh, whatever glory there was before Christ, it pales in comparison. Moses had a glory, but it was fading away, you know. He had a glory. But in the face of Jesus Christ, there is no glory. The glory of God means, I'll, I'll tell you what it means in a minute. Uh, I have a friend named Jeremy who is divorced. He's one of my former students, and he is a divorced dad, and he gets his little girl every other weekend. And it, Her mother doesn't take this little girl to church. He takes her when he has her. He tries to teach her about Jesus. And she loves the Sonic drive-in. So on Sunday morning on the way to church, they, they go by the Sonic, get a breakfast burrito or something like that to eat. He said, we were on our way to church. She's eight years old. On the way to church. He said, we're listening to Christian music, Dr. Holler. He said, pulled up there and we just sat there for a little while. Listening to the music. And when the song went off, we both had our hands up like this. Worshiping Jesus, sitting at the Sonic. He said, I hadn't pushed the button yet to order. He said, we were just lost in the glory of God. The little girl said, Daddy, do you feel that? He said, yeah, baby, I feel it. She said, what is it? He said, it's the glory of God. He said, what does it feel like to you? Here's what she said. It feels like a weight. That's easy to carry. He didn't know, and she sure didn't know, that the definition of glory is weightiness. This was the real glory of God that came into the, into the car parked at the Sonic. An eight-year-old recognized it as a weight that's easy to carry. See, this glory that's on us 
is not hard to carry. It's not a heavy burden. It's not an invading army. It's a sweet thing. It's a glorious thing. It will help you live your life beyond anything you ever imagined if you will just let it happen. Spend time just letting the glory manifest because he is the express image of the person of God. Jesus is. The brightness of his glory, the Bible says, the express image of his person. This means if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. How can you believe that God causes calamities when Jesus never once ever caused a calamity? How can anybody believe that God makes people sick when Jesus never made anybody sick? That's a God they made up in their own mind. How can they ever believe that God does all these evil things when Jesus never did anything evil? Never hurt anybody. Why would God be one way and Jesus be another way? He is the express image of God. You've got to believe this. You've got to believe this. When you see Jesus in the pages of Holy, Holy Writ, you're looking at God. Amen. Glory. And upholding all things by the word of his power. I want you to hear this. That text in the Greek actually says, by the word, comma, his power. His word is his power. When God spoke, he didn't have to do anything else. He said, let there be light. Those words went out there and became light. We almost know nothing about this. We use words almost exclusively for communication. God used them exclusively for creation. You need to use your faith to believe that your words can create the world you want. Not just communicate what you want, but to create what you want. Amen. Anybody here like to have something other than what you have? You can create it with your words. The word, his power. It's the same word as is in Romans 1.16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God's message is power. When he had by himself purged our sins. Your sins were not purged the day you believed. You received the purging the day you, you, you believed. Amen. You, you received it. But they were, sin, they were purged as far as God the Father is concerned the day Jesus died. For God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God did it all right then. That's why he can never double judge you. You were judged at Jesus' death. Hallelujah. And everything you ever did wrong was taken, taken from you right then. And God blamed him, blamed him, accused him, and executed him for everything you ever did. Glory to God. What a God we love, we serve. Worthy of our love. Your only part of this covenant is just to believe it, as already been said by Pastor, uh, Pastor Jeremiah. It says, He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. I love this piece of scripture. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, we have to remember why Jesus came. Did he come to prove who God was? No. Did he come to show us how holy God was? No. We already knew that. He came 
for us. He had one cause. Everybody say he had one cause. He had one cause. You. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came for you. I went through the, uh, the, 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 uh, the creeds recently, studying for one of my courses at CFNI. All the various creeds that have been written by the apostles, the Apostles' Creed, the oldest one, and several different other ones that all the big denominations have a creed. And I was unable to find any of them that knew why Jesus came. The creeds of every major denomination missed the point. I read them all. I was, I was amazed that none of them got the, got the point. They all said Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. But not one of them said why he did that. You know, that's just a fact. That's just, that's just history. If you know he died and he was buried and he rose again, all you know is history. You don't know why he did it until you know what the Bible says. Christ died for our sins. Yeah. It's not in any of the creeds. Amen. It's not in any of the creeds. How did they miss this? Because they don't know it. They don't know why he came. Amen. They know that he came. They know that he died. They know that, see, Jesus did not come to show us how holy God was. That's what, that's what you hear most of the religion say. Oh, God is holy, unapproachable holy. Pardon me. He's my father. Amen. If, he's still, if he's still just your God, you need to get saved. Because he can be your God and you can go straight to hell. He has to be your father for you to miss hell. Make heaven your home. Amen. Because he is God. It don't matter whether you recognize him or not. We already knew this before, before Jesus came. The wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It was already re revealed in the old covenant. We knew this. We knew this about God. That he was severe. What we didn't know was how much he loved us. And Jesus came to tell us how much God loved us. How much he wanted us. He loved us so much. He wanted us in his family, not just in his house. Not just in his heaven, he wanted us in his family. God is a great... Anybody here know what nepotism is? It's showing favoritism to family. God is the biggest nepotist in the whole universe. He won't have anybody work for him that's not in his family. He only hires sons and daughters. Everybody else, sorry, you don't get, you don't get to work in this family. You don't get to work with this job because I only hire my kids. Amen! Jesus came for us. All he did, not just to die, but he rose again from the dead for us. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if he's not risen from the dead, then our faith is vain. But when he, anybody here know what fission means? Fission, F-I-S-S-I-O-N. means diffuse power. Fission. It's, what, it's the principle upon which the atomic bombs that they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki operated 
Boom! Chain reaction. Fission broke out. There's another power that they've come to understand now. They talk about years ago they were going to put an atom smasher in Waxahachie, Texas. We lost a bid here and we provided hundreds, maybe thousands of jobs. They went to Europe. They put the thing in. And they spin these atoms real fast around a track somehow underground. And they crash them into each other and fuse them and create this immeasurably more powerful uh, power than fission. It's called fusion. Make a friend of the word by saying it, fusion. It's not fission. It's fusion. But it creates an intense heat and a power that's unimaginable. Anybody here see Back to the Future? You know what I'm talking about then. <laughs> Fusion power car. Ah, more power. On the day Jesus died, what, let me just explain the atom. The invisible things of God, you know you can't really see an atom, but they mathematically figured it out. There are three primary components, and they're finding other issues with this now, other elements. But three primary components to an atom. There's a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Three. Proton, neutron, electron. The proton and the neutron are always together. The electron is untamable. He's a little fireball, runs all around inside the atom. You got it? What they had to do was split these two here. Split the proton from the neutron. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Mm. Mm. When they split the neutron and the proton, this electron gets out. And then it sets off a chain reaction and you have power breakout everywhere. This is what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The moment he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and died? That fusion, that fission power went out everywhere. And that's when your sins were forgiven. Went out to all mankind and everybody who would be born even later, 2,000 years later. That power went out everywhere. That's not the end of the story. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And he rose up and goes back to heaven. And he got back there with his father. And refused with his father. And when he connected with his father again, he fused that Godhead back together. And an outbreak came. He said it like this. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We know that fusion day has Pentecost. And now an immeasurable power broke out that is uncontainable by the devil. Jesus did all that he did for us. Everything he did, he did for us. Let me read some more. Hebrews 1, are you there? This is amazing to me. Amazing to me that God shows me these things. Study all the time, he should talk to me. 
Verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What Jesus did was he brought the status of man above that of angels. You are not under angels. Paul said we're going to judge angels. Woo! I don't know what that means. I know angels are free moral agents that can make decisions. A third of them made a decision, didn't they? Free moral agents, they can make decisions. And the Bible says we're going to judge angels. Because we are not of the same status as angels, you are in the God class of persons. You are the son, a child, a daughter of God, which means as a son of God, you have the same rights and privileges that the first son had. He's not just called the son of God anymore, the only, only begotten. He's called the firstborn. My family has a firstborn. My family has a firstborn, my brother. They also have a baby of the family, that's me. But you never call an only child the firstborn. You only call him the firstborn if he has little brothers and sisters. That means, are they less of heir? Are they less heirs than the firstborn? No. Are they less like mom and dad than the firstborn? No. They're every bit the same that the firstborn is. Amen. Jesus was bringing many sons into glory. God wanted, wanted a family, a crop for a family, so he used the best seed he had. I probably told you all this story, but I went to my daddy's house one time, one time, and he was sorting corn, shucking corn. You know what that means, taking the shuck off? It was dry. Well, this wasn't for eating. This was for, for feed corn for the animals and for seed corn. And he's separating them. He, 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 he shook it down, you know, like this, and look at it. And pitch it over there. Shook another one down, and he'd lay that one over there to this side. Shook another one down, pitch it over there. Shook another one down, pitch it over there. Most of them went over there in a the big band. In the big band. But some of them, he'd take them and lay them aside gently over here to this other side. I said, Daddy, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm separating the seed corn from the feed corn. I said, why? He said, I only put the ones that have great, beautiful, straight rows and full ears as seed. He said, John, you only sow your best seed. If you want the best harvest, you only sow the best seed. God believed that seed time and harvest was was the answer to everything, apparently. He wanted a family, so he sowed the best part of his family. Amen. For unto which of the angels, verse 5, said he any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten, first begotten, everybody say first begotten, into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. All right. Angels worship this son of man. He brought him back into the world, and he said, let the angels worship him. Were they worshiping him as God or as man? When he's in the world, he's man. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. The word first begotten proves that he was talking about the role, his role, as the last Adam. As the last Adam, we are, how many of you were born after Adam? 
I was. How many of you were born after Jesus? We all were. We're all of the seed of Adam. As C.S. Lewis said, sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. Right? Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve. That's all of us. How can it be that Jesus then is the last Adam? Adam just means man, means red man, really. So us Okies are in good company. We're the red men of the world. (laughs) Think about it. How is Jesus the last Adam? Unless God is projecting him to the end. If God, unless God is saying Jesus is the ultimate man at the end of it all and counts us inside between that Adam and that Adam. You got it? Between the first Adam and the last Adam. He has to be counting us as in the last Adam. Inside, the, not after, but in him. This Bible is full of that kind of language, that we are in Christ. Get me? That means that all mankind, God now no longer sees us like that first Adam. He sees us like that last Adam. Once and for all, his picture of Adam has been corrected. He now sees us all like he sees Jesus. The thought that God's no longer angry is a liberating thought. And that shows how thoroughly Jesus pleased the Father. He pleased him so thoroughly that God came hardly look at your sin. He came hardly see anything goes wrong with you. Because he keeps looking at Jesus. He sees you in Christ. I'm not saying you're, you're perfect. God said you were. <laughs> you thought I was going to slip off in that old, that old way of thinking, didn't you? No. He has perfected forever those who are in the process of being sanctified right now. Amen. He's already perfected you. All that he did, he did for us. Verse 7. And of the angels, he said, who make his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Let's recognize that angels have authority and power. You know that? Angels have authority and they have power. They have exousia, authority, They have dunamis power. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The first begotten Son, the first begotten Son. So we are now in God's family and not in the family of the angels. Let me just read this to you. This is why you cannot change or control another person with faith. If you marry a guy who's not saved, lady, and you think your faith is strong enough to control him, it's not. It's not. Faith is not designed to control human beings. Faith is designed to control you. 
and your circumstances. You can't make somebody do something that you don't want, that they don't want to do. But what you can control, what are demons? They're also angels, aren't they? You can empower you. You have been empowered to control the demons that are tormenting the people you love. You can fight the warfare for them, fighting the spirit for them. You can't make them do what you want to do, want them to do, but you can sure fight the devil. He's under your foot. He's under your feet, and you have charge over people who are controlled by demonic activity. My wife has a family that's like Duck Dynasty, only that without the prayer. Just want to go wild. And she has, for years, for 35 or 40 years, we've been praying for them. Fighting the good fight of faith. She stood for faith, stood in faith for them for years. One by one by one by one, they've all come to Jesus. It took 35 or 40 years for it to happen, but now they're all saved. Amen. Amen. And she preached to them, of course. But what she did most of all, she couldn't, she couldn't, by preaching to them, she couldn't make it happen. For some reason, they just wouldn't hear it. So she prayed and commanded the devil to take his hands off her family. And little by little, they started coming in, one after the other. Now they're all saved. Amen. I'm telling something, I'm talking to somebody here today. Anybody here have anybody in your family or in your, in your life that bugs you? Don't look around. There may be someone in the church. Just don't look around. Just look straight ahead when you do that. You can fix this because you have authority over those demons that are troubling them. You don't have authority over them, but you have authority over the demons. If they want to live right, you can help them do that by praying against these demonic forces because you have authority over the devil. Praise God. Now listen to me. What time is it? It's 10 after 12. Man, the Baptists are going to meet us to the restaurant, aren't they? (laughs) Baptists. Verse 9, I'm almost finished. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. I'm going to stop right here and tell you this. You have, as Jesus does, an anointing for gladness. you stand up on your feet for a moment? Please stand to your feet. As the Son of God, you were that one who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross for. The joy that was set before him. The cross wasn't joy, but he saw you and got happy. He saw you and got happy to do it. Happy to die because he saw you. You know, in turn, we should see him and be happy to worship him. Would you lift your hands and get joyful for a moment? Talk to Jesus about how, how happy you are. The oil, the oil of gladness is upon you. The oil of gladness is upon you. Think about that person that's, that's the most troubling in your life. And laugh at the devil. Laugh at those spirits. Tell them they got to get off. Ha, 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 ha. Glory to God. they got to stop this nonsense.
tormenting my family. Ha, 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 ha. The oil of gladness is upon us. The oil of joy is upon us. It was on Jesus, it was on you. Glory to God. Glory to God. The oil of joy, the oil of gladness for, for mourning. Amen, amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you lifted us out of the, the ordinary standard into the God, God standard, bringing us into your family. We thank you so much for your kindness and grace. Bless this family of God. Bless this one cause family, Father, that have the same cause that you have, bringing many sons to glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Glory be to God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.